Today is a little bit different day in the life of Great Oaks as we uh, celebrate a whole bunch of stuff today. We're calling this Celebration Sunday as we come together to celebrate uh, child dedication, uh, baptism, and uh, communion, Lord's Supper. We're going to do all that today. And, and, and in the midst of that, we're going to try to do a little bit of teaching, okay? It's not going to be a long sermon, just a little bit of pieces today of some stuff. And uh, Chris Genders, who is our adult ministries pastor, he's going to do some of the teaching. But this morning, I get the privilege of uh, getting kind of started off here by uh, talking about, just briefly, uh, one of the things that we do as a church that we celebrate together is we call it child dedication. Uh, one of the things that's, that we want to understand is that some of you come from different religious backgrounds, different understandings of what's going on, and so we want to describe what we understand about why we do what we're going to about to do this morning. This is a very brief service, very brief ceremony, but this morning in this service and then also in a second service, we have several families that are uh, just dedicating their children to the Lord. Uh, what child dedication is, is this, is that the Bible teaches us clearly that we are to, um, that for, for us to have a strong family, that God needs to be a central part of that. As parents, as grandparents, as encouragers of uh, parts of families, uh, the Bible says in Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And we believe that it takes a commitment from the parents and from the extended family to make God central in our kids' lives. It's the most important thing we can do. And in doing so, it means that simply that you are, are, are doing everything you can to live an example before them and to guide them in numerous ways. Uh, if I had a lot of time this morning, I could spend a whole lot of time talking about that, but I don't. But I just want to say that we believe that the parents' actions in raising a child and what they do and what they live out before our children are important. For instance, it says in Ephesians 6, 4, it says to fathers, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, there's examples in Scripture in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of people dedicating their children to the Lord. Uh, in the Old Testament, Hannah dedicating Samuel. Uh, in, in the New Testament, uh, uh, Jesus' parents dedicating him. Now, one of the things I want to help you to understand is this. is This is not baptism, okay? We do not believe that the Bible teaches we're to baptize our children. Baptism is something that we're going to celebrate later in the service, and it's something that Chris will talk about, about what it means, but it's something that happens after you make a commitment to Christ. So this morning as we come together for this time together of child dedication, uh, I would challenge you as parents, even if you're not going to be up here this morning, to make a commitment of raising your children in such a way that they would see and know God in your lives. It can mean many things. One of the things is, is what they see as priorities in your life. Is God going to be central in your life in regards to this whole thing of, of, uh, of what your time is? I mean, do they see you spending time in God's Word? Do they see you uh, encourage, or, or do you encourage them to make Sunday and worship a priority in their lives? Those are all things that are important. So that's what we're doing this morning. Now, this we, we shared several weeks ago, and we found in the bulletin that you know, those who would like to be a part of this can do so. And so this morning in our first service, and I've got a whole list of people here and uh, who have made a commitment to do this. And so as I call your names, would you just come on up, bring your child or children. Some of you got other children with you, and just go ahead and bring them up too as well. Uh, come on up and stand up here, and then we're going to have a, a brief time of commitment together uh, in regard to that. Um, Okay, Jackson Leach and his his parents, Dan and Jessica. Okay, um, Zoe Driscoll and Dayton and Miranda, uh, Avery Lindsay and Scott and Stephanie, uh, Haley Myers and uh, Will. I know you. You got William on here. Who in the world's William? 
Will and Brandy Myers, and uh, uh, Jack Lowry, and parents Jerry and Amanda, and Jaylee Gluck. Gleek. Uh, do I pronounce your name right? Wrong. Glick. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Ralph, Ralph and Jeanette. Okay. Okay. All these folks this morning have made commitments, uh, are coming this morning to make a commitment to God in regard to their kids. Now, you notice they're, they're younger kids. It doesn't mean it always has to be younger. If you've never done this with your older kids, you can do this as well. This is not something. Normally, we get started right, right, you know, early on. But it doesn't matter where you do it, but it's important this morning to do that. So I sent all of you guys uh, a it's some inf- information. Oh, some cute pictures up on the screen. Those who sent pictures and we got the emails, uh, we, we put the pictures in there. I don't know who, who did this, but it just miraculously shows up. Um, they're going, oh, isn't that cute? You know, it's okay. Okay, let me, let me just share this together. I've already sent you some information. And uh, as they're watching the pictures and going ooh and ah, just focus your attention on me a moment, okay? <laughs> let me share this with you. In presenting your child to the Lord, uh, do you promise in dependence upon God's word, upon the partnership of this church, to teach your child the truths of the Christian faith, to set a Christian example before him or her, to bring your child up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, and to encourage your child to accept Christ as their Savior in the proper time. If you agree to this, will you say, we do? Now, you didn't know you was going to be a part of this this morning. But we believe that it takes a community to raise children. And that we're to be a part of a Christian community that encourages these folks as well. And so I want to ask you as a congregation a question as well. Do you as members of this church, do you promise to join these parents in the teaching and training of these children? that they may be led in due time to trust Christ as Savior, to confess Him in baptism and in Christian service. If you accept this responsibility of partnering with these parents, would you let it be known by saying, we will? Thank you. Let's pray this morning. We're going to move into a time um, of baptism. And uh, you've heard Bill talk before that uh, with four pastors from four very different denominational backgrounds, we all have our hot-button topics. When you were in staff meeting and you bring up the Holy Spirit, Nate's going to start talking. Uh, when you bring up missions, Bill's going to go on a, on a tirade about Southern Baptist missions, and, and rightfully so because they do incredible things. And then you bring up baptism, and you know my history starts to kind of rise up a little bit. One of the things that we see in the New Testament is when somebody would be baptized, it was always this moment where they're going through life and they suddenly encounter Christ, whether in person or through the teaching of another person. And they're suddenly at a crossroads. What do I do with this person? Where do I go with this? Uh, we think of the day of Pentecost when Peter is, is admonishing the crowd and, and, I mean, really just going after him. And, and it says that they were cut to the heart and they said, brothers, what should we do? Acts 2.38, and Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And so we see this happen time and time again in the New Testament. Somebody's going through life, and they're, they're going one direction, and all of a sudden they encounter Christ, and they're at a crossroads, and they have to decide, who am I going to follow now? Am I going to follow Christ, or am I going to continue doing what I've always done? As I was preparing for this morning, my mind immediately went to Acts chapter 8 to Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, because that's, to me, just one of the great examples of this. Uh, so as I was studying that, though, I looked a little earlier in the, in the chapter of Acts and uh, realized where Peter was before that. And just listen to the text, if you would. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. 
with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all of the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. They were basically saying, this guy, Simon, is a god. And they were following him. I mean, what he did and what he was able to do and and what he was teaching, they were just waiting with bated breath, following him along. And verse 11 says, they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But, and here's that crossroads, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Here was an entire city who was going down one direction. They were following this guy named Simon because he had great power and was doing incredible things. And then all of a sudden they encounter Christ, and they go, okay, now we're at a crossroads. We have to decide. Do we continue following Simon, or do we follow this Christ? And many, both men and women, followed after the Christ. What we're going to see here this morning are people who were going down one path in life. It may have been they were following their, a path of their own making. It may have been they were following a path that culture had, de- had defined for them, a path that maybe their family uh, heritage had defined for them. But they've suddenly encountered the Christ of Scriptures, and they've been forced to make a decision. Do I continue down that path, or do I follow the Christ? And the people who are going to be baptized here this morning have made that decision to follow Christ. Baptism in the New Testament was always practiced by immersion. Uh, the, the Greek word is baptizo, which means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. People would go down into water, and they would come out of the water. And it was symbolic, Paul tells us in Romans 6, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this morning is these people uh, are going to come back and, and immerse themselves in water, and there's nothing special about the water. The water doesn't save us. First Peter tells us that. It's the pledge of a good conscience. It's not the water that saves. Otherwise, we just grab anybody we want and dunk them in water and say you're saved. But they're coming out because they've hit that crossroads. They've made a pledge of a good conscience. And what they're demonstrating this morning is publicly declaring that they're going to follow Christ. And so this morning, would you celebrate with these people as they get baptized. We're going to watch a brief video for each one of them as they share their testimony, something we do here at Great Oaks. And so you'll get to hear their story uh, from them uh, this morning. So watch the videos. There were two things that the early church practiced regularly. One was baptism. Uh, The other was the Lord's Supper, sometimes called communion throughout history, sometimes called Eucharist. And I came from a church um, background... uh, where we did communion every Sunday. And uh, that was just, for me, a, a, a very meaningful part of the service. And so uh, when I first um, approached Great Oaks about working here and uh, asked a lot of questions, and I learned we did communion periodically throughout the year, and it really forced me to go into Scripture uh, to understand what it was about communion and why um, I felt it necessary to be a part of the service every Sunday and, and, and how we practiced communion at my previous church and and I don't know what your background is, but oftentimes we come from a church background where communion is very kind of solemn, uh, where it's very reflective, meditative. Um, it's a time where a pastor gets up and, and often quotes a, a scripture I'm going to read to you in just a moment. 
And uh, we go into a time of silent prayer. And then the elements are passed, and we just kind of spend that time um, isolated with our God. And, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But what I discovered as I studied the Scripture is that is not how the early church practiced it. The early church practiced communion in the midst of a family meal as the church came together. Uh, there was always a broader meal context. There was, at some point in the, the meal, um, they would break bread and remember Jesus' sacrifice, his body broken for us. They would, they would pass the wine and remember his blood spilled for us. And, and it was always done in this celebratory environment, atmosphere. It was a time of celebrating what Christ had done for them. And as I looked at that, I'm like, okay, wait, that's not how I understand communion, how I always practice communion. Um, and the justification for how I always practice communion uh, came from these verses. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, if you came from a church like mine, maybe you, these words are familiar. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then it goes on. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. And so we would teach those verses. And we would say, you need to go into this time of, of individual and silent prayer. You know, getting yourself right with God. And is there anything wrong with that? No, not necessarily. But when you look at the broader context of where this verse lies, it's actually an admonition to the church in Corinth. Paul is writing because they were abusing the Lord's Supper. They weren't celebrating it properly. Uh, the church was coming together for that family meal, for the supper, but oftentimes the wealthy would arrive first, and they would eat all of the food, they would drink all the wine, and by the time the working class man got there, the wealthy had eaten everything, they were drunk on the wine, and it just became a party. And it wasn't really recognizing what Christ had done for them. It wasn't the church coming together. And so Paul writes to them, and he admonishes, if you go back a few verses, you read that. He says in verse 17, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. Here's the spiritual giant Paul writing to the church in Corinth and saying, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. It says, And he goes on and just outlines what they were doing wrong. The verses that I'd always read for 10 years as a pastor and said, go into this time of quiet meditation, I misunderstood. The early church practiced the Lord's Supper in the context of a family meal. It was the first church potluck, if you will. Jude, later in the New Testament, actually calls them, and this is what the early church called them, they called them love feasts. Sounds kind of hippie-ish, right? Definitely not the quiet, contemplative moment of communion I'd been practicing for a decade in my previous church. And so as I studied those scriptures, I was confronted with the reality of what the text says, and reality confronted with the reality of my own misunderstanding of scripture in the early church. And so we, we practice communion here uh, like we do because we need to teach on it. Because people misunderstand it. We practice it both in the large church environment. We also encourage our small groups to do it in the context of a meal. And I've done this with small groups here. Where we break bread over a meal and we have the juice. And we make it a family meal and remember what Christ had done for us. And so this morning we're going to take communion, the Lord's Supper. And we're going to do it together. And we're going to do it in a time of celebration. I'm going to ask the ushers, if you guys come forward, they're going to pass both bread and the wine, or wine, <laughs> juice, 
um, both the bread and the juice, and I want you to just hold on to it. Don't eat them yet, okay? Just hold on to it. I'll give you some instructions here in just a moment. Ushers, go ahead and start passing if you would. After you get the elements, just spend some time praising God through prayer. Thank Him for the incredible things He's doing in your life. If you need to confess sin, if you need to get right with God, do it, absolutely. But just praise God this morning. Bless Him. We're here to worship the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all life, the God who loved us enough that that saw us apart from Him and separated by sin and said, I won't stand for that. And He sent His Son, part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, earth as a baby to live to die, to go to the cross. And death had no hold on him. He rose from the grave. His body was broken for you, for me. His blood was spilled for you and for me. And so this morning, praise God. Spend time just thanking him for what he's done in your life. Spend, spend time thanking him for the good times. Spend time thanking him for the bad times. Because it's in those bad times that we have to learn trust and dependence on God. It's in those wilderness moments where we have to look to God. We say, God, give us our daily bread. Give me the strength to make it through today. Because I don't know if I can hold on. But God, I'm going to praise you because I know you are here. I know you are for me. I know that you've got my back. Even if I don't understand it, I'm going to live by faith. Father, I thank you this morning. Would you stand with me? The Lord's Supper was initiated by Jesus the night before he was betrayed. He sat with his closest friends and followers. And he had a meal. It was the Passover meal. It was a meal that looked back into the history of the nation of Israel and looked at the the night that that God rescued them from Egyptian rule. But he brought them out of Egypt and into the Exodus. And that night they would they were take the blood of the lamb and put it on their doorpost. And then as the angel of the Lord would draw would go throughout Egypt, um, he would leave the Israelites' homes untouched. This was the meal. It was given as a, as a practice to remember that night, to remember the exodus, the wilderness time, to remember what God had done for them. And Jesus takes us in the context of this meal, looking back throughout uh, history, and he, he takes the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Go ahead and take the body of Christ this morning. And then he lifted the cup, and there were four cups of wine during the Passover meal. It's believed that this was the third cup um, that Jesus lifted. And he, the, the purpose of that cup, uh, during the Passover meal, they would take uh, some bread, and, and they would dip it in the herbs, and it was bitter herbs. And it had this taste of, of sin and bitterness in their mouth. And they would take the wine, and they would wash away the sin and the bitterness, and just as Christ washed away our sins through his blood. So he lifted that third cup, and he says, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Wash away the bitterness of sin this morning with the blood of Christ. Let me pray. 
thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.